Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, November 19. Think before you speak. Be circumspect, both in speech and in deed. Don't, by unseemly haste, haste, expose yourself to misunderstandings. Why embroil yourself in unnecessary controversy? Oh my, so much trouble in this world would be avoided if people would simply do that. It's, it's almost like that sense of urgency that it has to be done right now. It, almost as soon as you hear and feel that, you can know you're wrong. Now, I am talking to myself in this one. This is a really important one for me. I'm not an astrologer by any means, but I've, I know that astrology is a true science, and I've been fortunate in having several astrological readings that have helped me to understand myself very well. And one of them talked about a particular configuration in my horoscope, and I'm not adept enough to explain what it is, and if I did, I would do it a disservice. The, the various planetary configurations are less important to me than the conclusion. And the conclusion was this, a certain planet in my chart, whatever it is, it causes me to see present circumstances, to extrapolate from those circumstances, you know, and predict that something very serious is going to happen in the, in the near future. Then another planet jumps in and says, do something, do something, do something now. <laughs> and it's not even as if anything is actually even happening. It's that I can see from present circumstances what's probably going to happen. And the fact of the matter is, in that respect, I'm not always wrong. So it's not like it's such a bad thing to say, ooh, this isn't going well. If it keeps going in this direction, this is not going to be good. That's a good thing to notice. And then you can stop and think about it. But this other planet says, do something, do something, do something now. So I too often have. <laughs> and embroil myself in unnecessary controversy. Because, yes, there is a situation that has to be addressed, but if we could just think a little bit before we speak, if we could just breathe in and breathe out, try to figure out how much of this is real, how much of this is projected, and then consider what we should do. Because anything that says it has to be done right now is almost, almost always, by definition, false. I mean, if a child has fallen into a swimming pool, that is not the time to contemplate. You have to jump in and get the child out. But if somebody has started a course of action or has made a certain comment, you usually have a few hours. You usually have enough time to just breathe in and out. I've, with these, what I call panic reactions to situations where you, you just uh, get started, you know, in a way that you don't mean to. It's the way I've, I've worked with myself on, on this sort of thing, and I, the euphemism I use for myself is high strung. There's a lot of other words that wouldn't be quite as nice as that, and I would 
put to it to a certain extent in the past, but nonetheless, in my 73 years, I've worked with this a lot. Um, I, what, what I've, the way I've tried to work with this is there is a certain feeling of urgency that comes over. There's a way that one begins to move. There's a way that one begins to talk. There's the um, tone of voice that we're beginning to use. And more than anything else, there's this, like this compelling sense that it has to be done. And that compelling sense masquerades as the truth. But almost the mere fact that it's present tells you that in some way we're off. Because we've moved out of a calm response and now we're reacting with this great sense of anxiety that if we don't do it and do it now, it's going to cause us endless trouble. And I can't tell you (laughs) how much trouble I've caused by acting too fast. Just as simple as that. Even if the action in the end was the right action, it's not considered, the words are not thought through enough, the implications are not there, the proper consulting with those that I need on my side before I launch out, the feelings of the other person. I mean, it's a long, long list. Um, And, you know, it sounds so easy, but we're really controlling our, I mean, my words for it, my survival response. That's what happens. You know, it's like this this, uh, sense of survival, like, like everything will be lost. I've finally learned, and I'm, still learning it and learning it slowly, but I am learning, little by little, that really, almost always you can wait. And almost always it's better to wait. So you just start with that as that first thought. I'm, you know, when I um, was trying to learn how to give people advice from a super-conscious level, not just from a mental level, because I have a clever mind and I have a clever mouth, and I've sort of, even from a very young age, you know, I just sort of have a, a counselor's energy. I mean, it's not that I'm going to tell you about every woo-woo thing that's happened to me, but my palm, <laughs> my palm reader friend tells me, whatever it is, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm just a counselor. It's just all in there. So I've been doing it since I was tiny. It's just the way that I am. But there is counseling from an ego desire to tell people what you think they ought to know, and there is counseling from a superconscious call from that person's soul for you to be the instrument of delivering something they really want to hear. And the difference between them is the compelling need to speak. At least that's how I feel. Now, I'm not talking about a willingness to speak, even a profound desire to be helpful. A profound desire to be helpful is... is exactly what you need if you want to if you want to be helpful you need to really want to be helpful but if there's a if i need to say it you know now i'm not talking about all kinds of communication sometimes i need to say something to someone because i need to say it but that's quite different than i need to tell you what i think you ought to do and and when the ego really wants to be heard almost always that's a reason just simply to be silent. And then uh, the most interesting things will happen. I remember specifically when this was a long time ago, but when I was really first learning to try to discern between the difference. Um, Actually, Swami Kriyananda had asked me, I was going for a long car ride with a, a, a woman friend of mine. We were, I believe, driving from Ananda Village all the way to San Francisco, which was a four hour car ride. 
And there was there was certain things that Swamiji had said, if it's possible, in an appropriate way, to speak to this woman about these certain interactions. You know, he he thought that would be a good idea. So I, I actually am commissioned even to speak. But I know the relationship I have with this woman, and I know it's the relationship is a little delicate, and uh, she does not, uh, did not, and does not consider me to be her teacher, and does not sit around waiting for me to instruct her, and does not receive it well unless she wants it. So we're in the car, and I actually I just start praying, I just start praying to Swamiji, to Master, to God, you know, if. This would be helpful to my friend, then show me. And I really had just finished the prayer when she turned to me. She introduced the exact subject, she described the exact situation, and asked me, What do you think? I mean, that was pretty explicit. And as a consequence, we actually had a wonderful conversation. That was, um, I learned and she learned. But I've always remembered that if God wants it to happen, it will happen. You don't have to push it. Swamiji also has a very good method for working with things, which is he just simply starts slowly. This is what he means, be circumspect. My inclination, because I was raised in a household where my brother was a champion debater, literally, first place in the entire state of Texas two years in a row. I mean, that's pretty high-level debater. Debate was kind of our, our mode of conversation. Debate is, I present all my best arguments with as much energy as I can present them, then I wait, and you'll present yours, and I'll listen, and then I'll present my, my the pointing out the flaws of your arguments, and then I'll listen. I mean, if you like to debate, it's lots of fun. It's not conversation, <laughs> and it's not very winning when people are not accustomed to it. They don't recognize that you're trying to be helpful when you're doing that. I say that a little facetiously because it took me longer to figure that out than you might, than I would like to admit. But Swamiji would start very, very small. I've written a book of stories of experiences with Swami, and one of them was this, this man had made a certain decision to start a project some distance from Ananda village. Swamiji did not favor that project, but the man was determined, and, and you know, we, at Ananda, we, we're not under obedience. If we want Swami's advice, we take it. If we don't, we don't. But he went off to do that project, and he was trying to make a success of it very sincerely, but it just it wasn't, it, it didn't have success karma. It wasn't going to work. And Swamiji did not want to lose the man as a friend and as a devotee. And so he stayed in touch with him. He visited him. He talked to him often. And every time, because I would witness this, Swami would start the conversation by sort of asking how things were going. And what he would do is he would test the water. And as soon as it was clear that the man was determined to stick it out and keep going, then Swami would just start to talking to him about different ways that he might be able to make it successful. The man was going in a direction, Swami just went with him. But before he committed to that, he would always test the water to see if the man would change his mind. And finally, literally after 10 years, the man came to Swami and said, you know this project isn't working so well. Swami said, why don't you just move back to Ananda village? Which is what he had wanted to say ten years earlier, but the man wouldn't hear it. But Swami was circumspect. And he saw no receptivity. He wasn't going to assault him with that idea. 
He just remained his friend and held on. And then when the man was ready to come back, Swamiji hadn't destroyed the relationship. So one of the ways to do is you just start slowly. When Swamiji wanted to teach me how to cook better, because I was in charge of the community kitchen, uh, about 30 people or 40 people depended on me for all, those me- all their meals, and I was a terrible cook. I was a health food fanatic, and I just thought if it was healthy, it was good. And I gradually realized that if it tasted terrible, people didn't enjoy eating it. It was, it was too bland, as Swami elsewhere in this book uses that phrase. It's just, you know, you can only eat so much plain kale. It's just, I mean, now it, kale was not trendy at that point, I have to say. Kale was really, really lunatic fringe then, and I served people tons of it not well prepared, just there it was because it was so good for you and they were really just gagging on the meals I was making. And then I started trying to cook well, but I just didn't know how. I had, as Swami said, I had so many mental theories, I just couldn't put together what actually tasted good. So there was a, a, a palace revolt. <laughs> there was a little mutiny in the community and they were just desperately appealing to him to do something about it. So Swami came up to me and he said, uh, you know that lunch you made today, he said, it was a little, and he just kind of paused for a moment, bland, he said. I said, yes, sir, I know. I thought that recipe would be good, but it didn't come out right. I don't know what was going on with me, but I couldn't. He said, hmm, hmm, you know, a lot of what you cook is a little bland. (laughs) And I said, I know, Swamiji, I'm trying to do better, but I just don't seem to understand how to make it work. Hmm, Swami said, you know, if you want, I'd be happy to help you learn to cook better. I said, oh, yes, sir, I'd love that. I mean, the end of that story is I spent a weekend with Swamiji doing nothing more than cutting fruit and vegetables. I mean, he, did, he was a very intuitive cook. I came with a pen and paper like that to learn how to cook. I didn't, I, after the first five minutes, it was just pointless. I just spent time with him cooking. He had, a, he had a, a guest for the weekend, and we had to cook. He was a, the man was a, a portly fellow who liked his meals, and we cooked three meals a day for three days for him and several others. And at the end of it, I knew how to cook. I don't know how else to say it. He just awakened intuition. It was one of the most unusual experiences I've ever had. But the point of this is, if I had, if I had defended myself, Swami would not have pressed. He, he tested the water. Instead of throwing the whole thing at me and then making me defensive right from the start, if I was going to be, he tried a little. When I was open, he went farther, and he went as far as I would let him go. But as a result, it avoided a great deal of unnecessary controversy. So, highly recommended. Think before you speak. Be circumspect, both in speech and in deed. Don't, by unseemly haste, expose yourself to misunderstandings. Why embroil yourself in unnecessary controversy? Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.